Folks, before we jump into today's highlights, I just have to ask you, do you want to put 50 years of baseball history in your pocket? I know what you're thinking. It's not going to fit, but it really will because it's all in audio format. These are lost pieces of baseball history told to you from baseball cathedrals. They're, they're told to you by icons of the game from Red Barber, Ernie Howell to Harry Carey. I get goosebumps personally listening to these games and even thinking about the interviews and what these players are going to share with me. I know what you're thinking. Is this AI? Are there bots? Is there some magic potion here that are making these things appear? And I'm telling you, they're not. These games are real. They were done by real people at that specific moment in time. All the iconic moments, the interviews, none of it's reproduced, none of it's AI. It's all real, but done again by real people. If you want to check them out, uh, there's a free intro offer. Jump on over to VintageBaseballReflections.com. And there's over 2,500 audio clips and games for you to put in your pocket, take on walks with you, hang around the fireplace and listen, put them on the porch, invite some friends over. However you want to listen, you're going to be able to listen in these amazing moments in baseball history. Use this coupon this day for a special gift at the checkout. Hi folks, thanks for joining me today on Season 3, Episode 3 of The Daily Rewind. This week, we are talking bean balls, a flood, passing of an icon, an unbreakable pitching streak, and a power stealer. My name's Tom Hannon, and I'm the host of the show. I'm a huge baseball fan, and I've been studying and playing the game since my dad told me stories of the Boston Braves long before he ever told me a story about Peter Cottontail. I've collected virtually every Stratomatic card ever printed, and I love the history so much, I actually built a wiffle ball stadium that was a replica of Ebbets Field. If you want to check it out, you can go to littleebbets.com. If you love the history of the game and relate all your stories in life to baseball, and you tend to get goosebumps, a grin, and even water in your eyes a bit when Ray Kinsella asks his dad to play a game of catch, you're truly in the right place. This podcast is part of thisdayinbaseball.com. This Day in Baseball is a website I own, and I admit it is totally a work in progress. But if you love the game, and not just the stats, you will certainly be able to see a tremendous amount of history beyond the box score. As of right now, we have over 30,000 pages of baseball history on thisdayinbaseball.com. The podcast covers seven days a week, and we cover one event in each day. The events are intended to show you many pieces of history, and they really are for the curious mind. We start our podcast off with trivia, and the questions are always interesting. That's not the run-of-the-mill trivia. And we are introducing fan stories, and we have a great one to share with you today. On episode three, we are backstepping through August 12th through the 18th. So let's get going with the trivia. On September 27th, 1940, what Detroit Tiger bullpen catcher was knocked out cold when hit over the head with a case of tomatoes? Now we're going to take you to August 12, 1970. Judge Irving Ben Cooper rules against Kurt Flood in his antitrust suit. Cooper says, Decisions of the Supreme Court are not lightly overruled. 
we find no general or widespread disregard of the extremely important position the player occupies. Clearly, the preponderance of credible proof does not favor elimination of the reserve clause. However, the judge says changes in the reserve clause should be made through negotiation, but denies flood damages. Flood will appeal the decision to the Supreme Court, but it will be in vain. Flood, of course, blazed the trail with his actions for free agency. I heard from some fans recently, and they are unhappy Flood changed baseball history with his movement, but I don't see it that way. Free agency is a necessary thing. It's necessary because it's not fair for a player to have to play for one team his entire career. It would be like if you were an auto mechanic and you had to go to work for uh, Midas for your entire career and they could pay you whatever wage they felt like. And once they decided to retire you, that you had no other option. So do we get disappointed that players leave? We certainly do. Uh, do we think that the players make a lot of money? There's no question they make a lot of money. But free agency, I think, is good for baseball, and I think it's a fair thing. And if you feel differently, I'd love to hear your feedback. And you could do that on social media. You can just look for us in this day in baseball. We're everywhere. Uh, or you can uh, send me an email. I'd love to talk it out with you. And uh, that's at tom at thisdayinbaseball.com. Now, this is one amazing streak that comes to an end. On August 13th, 1906 at Washington Park in Brooklyn. John Brakeman Taylor is replaced by a reliever for the first time since June of 1901 when the Brooklyn Supas knocked him out of the game in the third inning. And you're going to hear this right. During the five-year span, the Orphans' right-hander completed a remarkable 1,727 innings of work that included 187 consecutive complete games as well as finishing up 15 games in relief. During the stretch of 202 appearances, he was not relieved once. During his 10-year career, he will fail to finish only 8 of 286 starts. That is some serious pitching. Now, as far as this game went, the Orphans, who will become the Cubs, dismantled the Supars, later to be named the Dodgers, 11-3. In or Orville Overall, who had replaced Taylor, will pick up the win. As a side note about Taylor, believe it or not, his run, he had two different stints with the Orphans. You see, in 1903, there was a 15-game series that the Orphans had against the upstart Chicago White Sox. Rumors swirled about the series when James A. Hart, the owner of the Orphans, accusing Taylor of having laid down against the Sox in his last three starts. So he was traded off in the 1903 offseason, and then the team actually reacquired him in 1906. And Taylor would retire after the 1907 season when the Cubs would win their first of two straight World Series. Now we're going to go to a power steal. On August 14, 1958, Vic Power of the Cleveland Indians steals home twice in the same game. His second stolen base gives the Indians a 10-9 win in 10 innings. Not known for his base-stealing ability at all, Powell will actually finish the season with three total stolen bases. Now, I did some digging on this one. During his 12-year career, Powell will steal a total of 45 bases, and he got caught a whopping 35 times. And a matter of fact, he stole nine twice as career highs. And in 1959, when he stole nine, he was also caught 
13 times. On August 15, 1995, at the request of the Mantle family, Bob Costas delivers the eulogy at Mickey Mantle's funeral. The popular broadcaster, known for his love of the game and his admiration of the Yankee superstar, describes the Hall of Famer as a fragile hero to whom we had an emotional attachment so strong and lasting it defied logic. On thisdayinbaseball.com, if you go to August 15th, you can search for Mickey Mantle's funeral and you will see the full eulogy on uh, we have a YouTube video of it it's really touching as all the players get up there and they tell their stories and Bob Costas gives his eulogy which is um, very moving and I would highly recommend it uh, if you've never seen it before it's, it's quite a touching event I'm doing two days for August 16th and 17th as it was one event that uh, spanned two days on August 16th 1919 on a dreary afternoon at the polo grounds in New York popular Indian shot stop Ray Chap suffers a fractured skull when he is hit in the head by a fastball thrown by Yankee right-handed submariner Kyle Maines. Chapman had led off the fifth inning and the first pitch from Mays struck him on the left side of his head. He crumpled to the ground. Umpire Tommy Connolly, who was working the plate, immediately turned to the stands. He requested the services of a physician. Two responded to Connolly's plea. A silence came over the crowd as doctors worked on Chapman. Eventually, he was able to get to his feet with the aid of two teammates, and he walked across the infield to the Cleveland clubhouse, which players accessed through center field at the polo grounds. But Chapman lost his consciousness, and two teammates had to carry him to the clubhouse. Chapman was taken to St. Lawrence Hospital, a half mile from the ballpark. Later that night, Chapman will survive the surgery. The 29-year-old, who was newly married, will die shortly before daybreak tomorrow, becoming the first and only player to have an on-field fatality in Major League Baseball history. Many players wanted to take action against Carl Mays, but none was ever taken. Mays himself would say, it is the most regrettable incident of my baseball career. I would give anything if I could undo what has happened. Chapman was a gamer and a splendid fellow. On August 18th, 1967, another tragedy occurs. Boston, born and raised Tony Canigliaro, playing for his hometown Red Sox, is beaned by the Angels' Jack Hamilton. Hit on his left cheekbone, just below his eye socket, Tony C., the 22-year-old who was showing Cooperstown stature, will miss the rest of the year in all of the 1968 campaign. The batting helmet Tony C. was wearing did not have the protective ear flap that has since become standard for all batting helmets. Astonishingly, he was able to win the Comeback Player of the Year award in 1969 and hit a career-high 36 home runs in 1970, but he had to retire after a short stint with the Angels in 1971 because of damage to his vision. It was truly a shock when the Red Sox had traded him right after the 1970 season when he had hit 36 home runs. And the Red Sox have never openly said anything about it, but the the undertone is they actually knew that his vision was suspect at the time, and that's why they had traded him so quickly after the 1970 season. And I got this little tidbit from Bill Nolan. Uh, I know Bill pretty well. He used to write for me when I owned a website called The Baseball Page, and he is a Sabre writer, a uh, Sabre member, and he's written many, many great books, and he's written uh, quite a few great books on the Red Sox. In his tidbit on his Sabre biography, which I link to in the podcast, and this comes from Ted Williams. Ted Williams had warned Ed Penny, 
Tony's partner in the music business. Tell Tony that he's crowding the plate. Tell him to back off, he said. It's starting to get serious now with the Red Sox. Penny remembered, I told him I would. I'd see him the next night when we were walking across the field to get the kids. And Ted was going up to the stands to make some kind of a talk. He turned around and yelled over to me and said, Don't forget what I told you to tell Tony. Back off because they're going to throw at him. Tony was actually in a slump at the time. And he told his brother Billy he couldn't back off the plate or pitches wouldn't take him seriously. If anything, he was going to dig in a little closer. Hindsight is always 20-20 vision and we would all have been just a little better off to see where his amazing career could have gone. Now, for a special new segment, A Fan Story by Raymond Wilson. I got this story from my Facebook group, This Day in Baseball. I welcome any baseball fan to come on over. Feel free to contribute, like, comment, post articles, discuss with true fans all about baseball history. We have several postings a day that we do. Fans are posting articles all the time. It's a really, it's a cool place if you love baseball. This is the story that he shared with me. On August 8th, 1987, Steve Carlton, now a Minnesota twin, won his only game as a twin. It turned out to be the last win of his great career. It was his 329th win. Ray was there, a 9-2 win over the Oakland A's. He pitched into the ninth inning. In 1994, Ray was also there in Cooperstown when Carlton was enshrined into the Baseball Hall of Fame. The day after Carlton was enshrined, he was signing autographs. Ray got in line, the very first in line. It was a three-hour wait, and as Ray says, it was so worth it. He autographed my baseball, which had a Minnesota logo on it. I told Steve about being at his 329th win, and Carlton said, You sure go all out in a long way. Now, Ray told me, you see, the baseball belonged to his son, Joey, who was given that ball by his grandpa at a concession stand the night of the game. Joey's favorite player was Kirby Puckett. Once in the game, Joey stood and yelled, Come on, Kirby, hit a home run. The very first pitch, Kirby actually hit a home run. Sadly, Joey passed away in 1988. It was a long illness. So along with Steve's signature, A few years later, Kirby also autographed that baseball. Ray kept the baseball in a plastic cube. In honor of his son, Joey, his daughter, Susanna, gave her first son, Joseph, as a middle name. Then Ray went on to tell me, years from now, I will eventually pass that ball on to my daughter, and then later, she will pass it on to her son, a memento. And in closing, Ray said, that game, my visit to Cooperstown, hearing his speech, talking with him, is a treasured memory I will have forever. And I just want to thank Ray for sharing this story with us. For anybody who loves baseball, I think that a lot of us have these stories. I could give you uh, an arm's length of stories of my own. To me, this is why I do thisdayinbaseball.com. I love baseball. I love the stories and I love how they mark time. But more than I love those stories, uh, I love the, the memories that baseball has given me. Uh, it's given me tremendous memories with my children, uh, memories with friends, uh, dad who's since passed away. It is just wealth of memories. Some of them uh, sting a bit, of course. Uh, I can think of quite a few as being a Red Sox fan for quite a bit of my life, but I can also think of so many happy ones. And even when I've gone to games when the Red Sox have lost, I've had tremendous memories. I think that that's, that's what these fan stories are about, and that's the uh, opportunity that we give you at This Day in Baseball. 
is to come on and share your memories uh, and share these types of events. If you want to share your stories with us, simply send me an email. If you want to share your stories with us, you can do it a few ways. You can send me an email to tom at thisdayinbaseball.com and you can write out your story. You can share your story on our Facebook group. You can also send me an MP3 file. I personally feel that this is going to be best presented in your own voice. And you can do that by sending me the MP3 file. And you can also go to thisdayinbaseball.com slash fanstories and record your story right on my site. And you can just feel free to talk away and we will edit it for you and we're going to put it onto the uh, podcast and it's going to be right at the right before the answer to the trivia question just like today and uh, you're going to get your, hear your story heard uh, we're planning on doing one or two stories per episode we're not going over that right now so feel free to get yours in there and i'll let you know uh, as soon as we publish it you know we hope that you sh- you'll be wanting to share that with all your family and friends So I want to thank you for joining me today on this day in baseball's Daily Rewind, and I hope you enjoyed the show. And before I get to the trivia question, I'm going to give you a quick word from our sponsor. What if you could own a part of history? What if you could be part of history? Whether you're nine months old or 90, this day in baseball has something for you. This Day in Baseball offers unique clothing items with iconic opportunities to sponsor player pages like Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, Sandy Koufax, any game, season, or ballpark in baseball history. You can join our podcast, our special videos, and much more. This Day in Baseball allows you to be a proud sponsor of history of your favorite players, places, teams, and events, which allows us to fulfill the mission to bring baseball history back to life in many various forms. We provide you the chance to be part of history and we recreate it. Want to see how? Go to thisdayinbaseball.com and click on the Patreon link in the menu bar. If you're familiar with Patreon, go to patreon.com slash thisdayinbaseball and you can become part of baseball history today. To answer your trivia question, when the Tigers' bullpen catcher was hit over the head, umpire George Pipgrass thought he was dead. Alas, he was not. He came to, and the police caught the fellow who tossed the crate at the Tiger catcher. The felon was roughed up a bit, but it was the catcher who eventually would be acquitted on charges, believe it or not. Who am I? Bertie Tebbets. I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember to check out the show notes. We have links to player pages, events dates, and some other stuff you may have missed along the way. Now, we are new to podcasting, and we'd love it if you let us know how we're doing. You can write a review, send me an email, connect with me on social media. We have a Facebook page, a group, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. And if you don't do social media, you can email me at tom at thisdayinbaseball.com. And one last request, if I can have you air for another minute, is just to say this much. The number one way podcasts get shared is by recommendations. It's by recommendations on social media, and it's by word of mouth. Seven out of ten podcasts are discovered by word of mouth. And if you like the show, and you like baseball history, and you want to support us, we would just appreciate it if you could share our show. Share our show to your friends, to other baseball friends, to groups, and that's going to help us grow, and it's going to help us bring you this really great content. That's it for today. We hope to see you at the ballpark, and we'll see you next week.